What is up, beautiful Dynasty Leaguers? Welcome to the Dynasty DM. I'm your guy, Max, here with my trusty co-host, Dan. And Dan, what is it Dynasty season? I think it's Dynasty season. Does Dynasty season... Dynasty season. Does Dynasty season ever end? And that's the best part about Dynasty. It never ends. It never ends. But but we're sitting here, and it's basically the end of June, and we got a lot of people. I know we, we're both in startups right now. We got friends in startups right now, and a whole bunch of people that haven't had their rookie drafts yet prepping for rookie drafts. Exactly. Rookie fever is in the air. Is the season. And I figured we both just polished up our 2020 rankings. Got a lot of people prepping for a lot of things. I figured let's uh, let's take a look at these rankings. Let's figure out who's high on who, who's low on who. Maybe uh, little explanations here and there. And yeah. uh, let's have a little fun. Good opportunity to compare a little bit. I think we both approach things in different ways sometimes. So it'll be fun to kind of see the, uh, the flip side of things uh, and see the differences we have between both. Absolutely. Let's just pray there's a 2020 football season. That's true. Otherwise, we're just punting this and these are our 2021 rankings. Exactly. <laughs> so let's let's jump into it. We got we got a bunch of guys to go over today. Um, I'm going to let you kick it off with a guy that I think you might be a little higher than I am on. Exactly. Yeah. So the uh, the general premise is, of course, Max and I both have our rankings. So taking a look at where I have people ranked versus where he does and being able to look at the overall ranking difference we have for those. So uh, the first guy that I want to be able to kick off with is a man by the name of Nick Chubb. Um, so right now uh, I have him at RB7, uh, 9 overall. Max has him at RB14, uh, so 19 overall. So I'm about 10 spots difference as compared to uh, to you, Max. So I'm going to take you through a little history. Then we're going to go into maybe some changes going on in 2020 and be able to kind of wrap up on why I feel like you are too low on Nicholas Chubb. Nick Chubb so, is a bad man. Hit me with it. He's a bad man. Um, so I think we both agree, like, Nick Chubb as a prospect checks a lot of boxes. He was 98th in uh, Spark uh, percentile for a 98th percentile in uh, Spark, which I know uh, you and I are both really uh, in on there. Uh, breakout age, of course, um, not as important for running backs, but still uh, 18.7. That's that's really nice to be able to see. So a bunch of other kind of overall from a prospect perspective looking really nice. Um, but he's also got two years in the league now. So less concerned about that, more concerned about kind of where he's trending going forward. And last year was a great year for Nick Chubb when it came to rushing. Uh, he was second uh, just to Derrick Henry, who I believe did a pretty good job uh, as of last year. Uh, when it came to the rushing race. And so uh, Nick Chubb did that. He had 14, uh, almost 1,500 yards as compared to uh, Derrick Henry just having a little over 1,500 at 1,540. Uh, And uh, Chubb did that with a way, in my opinion, way worse uh, offensive line. They were, um, by PFF, ranked about 23rd in the NFL as of last year. Uh, So he was able to overcome and close the gap uh, with uh, Derrick Henry there. And he was also, Nick Chubb in 2019, ranked top three in yards uh, after contact per attempt, total evaded tackles, and y- total yards created on breakaway runs. He was actually first in runs of over 30 yards, uh, which was uh, better than CMC, and it was better than Henry. So he really had some areas where, as a pure rusher, was doing a fantastic job. 
Uh, one of the areas he really struggled, though, was when it came to overall touchdowns, specifically uh, on his abilities to be able to get it done inside the five. So to take a look at where he stood, he had 16 attempts inside the five, which only yielded three touchdowns. If you compare that to others who had similar types of attempts, you had Zeke at about 18, Aaron Jones at about 17. They both netted 10 touchdowns with that type of opportunity. Uh, and I really do believe that one of the biggest issues that he had uh, with those types of opportunities being able to convert into touchdowns was the offensive line. It was in really rough shape and definitely needed some improvements in order to be able to give him the holes he needed to punch through uh, and make it down into the end zone. Uh, and so, and looking at that 2019 season, PFF actually has him them him rated as the best ball carrier in the NFL right now, which is a really nice resounding uh, endorsement to have uh, from a team like that. So with that said, you got to look at what's going on in the 2020 season. And what are things that are going to happen that I feel like are going to improve on the situation that he had in 2019? So first thing, look, Browns hired Kevin Stefanski, who was previously the offensive coordinator uh, with the Vikings. And with that comes a smash mouth outside run zone scheme uh, like he had in the uh, with the Vikings. And, and, uh, and well, who was the running back in Minnesota that crushed when Stefanski was there, Dan? You know, I believe that was Dalvin Cook, uh, albeit probably my favorite running back of the NFL. Uh, and so to see what Dalvin Cook was able to do with that type of scheme and scenario uh, was fantastic. He was a killing it in 2019. And so to have someone who's going to come and bring that type of scheme over to the Cleveland Browns and really start to enforce more of a run first type of offense is a huge benefit to Nick Chubb. Uh, just to kind of reiterate on what Minnesota was able to do, they finished the year fourth most rush attempts in 2019, uh, and they ran the most outside zone um, type concepts in the NFL uh, last year as well. So that was 279 uh, total rush, which is a huge fit for Nick Chubb's overall running style. Uh, and Stefanski also, again, looking at someone like Dalvin Cook, even though there was someone like Alexander Madison, who's also a very proficient running back, they chose to focus on more of a workhorse or at least heavily featured running back. Uh, so you had Dalvin Cook, who was in uh, over 60% of the total snaps, and he had the most receiving yards on screens uh, of all RBs last season. So again, just showing that they want to be able to utilize someone uh, as a workhorse in a feature, as well as being able to involve them in more kind of sweep styles uh, as compared to some of the other offenses there. So that's the overall coaching style and methodology you're going to have coming into the system with Stefanski. Then in March, they signed Jack Conklin, uh, offensive tackle, who was previously uh, with the Tennessee Titans, who in now is on record saying that he wants to help Nick Chubb win the 2020 NFL rushing title. Uh, he helped someone do it previously, and his name was Derrick Henry. He was the only one who was able to beat out Nick Chubb for the total rushing, and now he's coming into the Brown system to be able to help out Nick Chubb. That's a huge step forward when I was previously talking about some of the biggest struggles that the Browns had overall were the offensive line. And to add on to that, then in April, the Browns drafted uh, Jedrick Wills, uh, who's offensive tackle in the first round, 10th overall, and Nick Harris as a center in the fifth round. So more offensive line help to be able to really drive home what their biggest issue was, is giving Baker Mayfield plenty of time to be able to make the passes that he needed to be able to make uh, and to open up holes for their running backs who were really basically doing most of it all their own without little help from the offensive line there. So, so many really nice things have come about prior to this 2020 season to really bolster some of the areas that Nick Chubb was having as extreme kind of 
uh, deficiency on the 2019 season. So when you ask what could go wrong, I think the biggest thing that most people have looming over their um, decisions there when it comes to Nick Chubb is Kareem Hunt, who we saw was leading uh, the NFL in rushing for, I think, two years prior when he was with the Chiefs, of course, fantastically talented running back. Uh, certainly some off the field problems, which allows you to kind of say, OK, he's still kind of entering his way into the Brown system. Um, and I think a lot of people see what Hunt had previously done, and it scares them a little bit when it comes to Chubb uh, and his opportunities as a whole, especially when you started to see uh, some of the in-game splits uh, with Hunt in versus Hunt out as the, uh, the year uh, kind of progressed there. But the biggest thing is, uh, as you're looking at how uh, Stefanski is looking at being able to position Hunt, he sees Hunt's receiving talents and wants to be able to utilize him as a receiver more out of the backfield, the slot, and wide. And he doesn't seem to be chatted up as much when it comes to uh, a pure rushing kind of offense there. Um, and even when Hunt was in there for those splits, he was siphoning off about like one to two targets per game. Uh, Chubb doesn't. Chubb has never been um, getting most of his overall points from a receiving alone. He was only averaging about four targets per game uh, kind of prior. But what did happen is when Hunt was in the game, uh, the opportunities for Nick Chubb on the goal line, again, the area that we feel like will be improved by the offensive line, uh, did go up. So as the offense gets stronger and is able to be a little bit more dynamic, you see the team start to lean on Nick Chubb for what he's really, really talented at, which is pure rushing. And so the opportunities that he gains from Hunt even being on the field uh, certainly is able to offset some of the receiving uh, that is siphoned away when Hunt is on the, the field. And Max, I think you and I both agree Hunt also has a huge opportunity to be a mid-season trade candidate. Uh, should anyone else have a uh, lead running back go down, uh, he is someone that is uh, hooked up with the Browns uh, because he is a certainly a very valuable trade asset and absolutely could continue with the Browns going on, but he is definitely a chip that they could pose uh, going into this 2020 season. So um overall i feel like nick chubb with the opportunities that he's going to be having in the 2020 season with the massively upgraded offensive line uh and what basically uh, having all that added to already being the second in overall leading rushing puts him at a huge opportunity going into 2020 uh and certainly people shouldn't be scared away from him uh just because of uh kareem hunt who i really do believe could be a, a later non-factor uh, going into future years. Yeah, that's a great case for Nick Chubb. You laid out a lot of good points there. Um, I'll try to defend myself a little bit. Um, you know, so like, like you said earlier, you're about 10 spots higher on Chubb than I am. Um, and, and looking at the list of guys I have ahead of Chubb, I would like to think it's not an insulting bunch. You know, we got some, uh, some of the mainstays in there of McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliot, Kamara, Mixon, and then you get into, uh, some other guys that have had some good years recently, some younger guys, but for the most part, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm crazy low on Nick Chubb at 19. Um, love a lot of the points you just made. I think, uh, you know, Dalvin cook succeeded behind a subpar offensive line. Um, and I like to think the Browns, going into this season with the upgrades. If you haven't seen the measurables on Jedrick Wills, uh, I'll encourage all the people at home to pull up his metrics because the yeah. guy's a beast. Uh, I think the offensive line improvements are are huge. I think Chubb has a big opportunity to smash. None of the holes I would poke in a case for Chubb are going to be about his rushing ability. The dude's an animal. You watch Baker Mayfield running up the sideline, cheering him on. It gets, gets, you, it gets you excited. It gets the blood going. <laughs> 
Um, I think my hesitation with Chubb is partially this year built on the Kareem Hunt case. Um, you know, most of the guys that I have ranked above Chubb either have one of two things on, uh, you know, going for them. It's either they are premier pass catchers. So when you look at a Barkley, a McCaffrey, a Camara, even a Mixon, I would put in that category. Uh, Dalvin Cook, too, is a great pass catcher. Um, or they are quite a number of years younger. So Chubb is 24 and a half years old, you know, not ancient by any means. Um, but But he's definitely... If you're looking to maximize value on your roster, you know, gaining a couple extra years is, is always helpful. Um, I think that he definitely has a chance to smash. Will not be surprised at all if he's a top three running back this season. Um, you know, the, the Kareem Hunt scares me a little bit, taking away some of the pass catching work. Again, Hunt is no slouch. So we saw him worked in sparingly last year, but the, we're talking about a former rushing champion here. Mm-hmm. So I really do think... It's a little bit of a wild card. Your comparison earlier, Alexander Madison is not the running back Kareem Hunt is, let alone the pass catcher Kareem Hunt is. Um, so I think that mostly makes up the Hunt factor. The guys I have above him are elite pass catchers, and the guys that are rookies coming in that I have above him have great profiles and really just, you know, there's the age factor playing a difference for me there. I think that's that's totally fair, and I I, I can absolutely concede on the uh, the pass catching as a whole is one area that I think we understand is not what Nick Chubb has been known for, but the ability to transcend there becomes a point where you're so rushing proficient that we all become biased towards pass catchers, where you your pure rushers as little receptions as they might receive still set them in a tier beyond even the potential of other pass catching running backs so that's that's my only kind of thought uh when you see him still finishing as rb8 within a ppr format he's he's clearly locked into a really good opportunity that i believe has only gotten better so it'll be interesting to see because i I, I think i see both sides there and uh we'll see where he nets out coming this season sure a little bit of positive touchdown regression and uh and all of a sudden you know you had couple touchdowns at the points there were all of a sudden you're racking up an extra two, 300 rushing yards, right. In points. Exactly. So, exactly. But uh, let's pivot from a guy uh, that may not catch so many passes to uh, one of my favorite pass catchers that I think might've surprised a lot of people last year. Um, so I want to talk about Terry McLaurin and right now I got Terry McLaurin at number 42 overall. He's sitting at about wide receiver 20, and you by no means are that different on him. You got him sitting at about 50 overall, wide receiver 25. But I just want to give uh, give the people a little bit of a history lesson on Terry McLaurin, tell you maybe why Dude. you might start sending some trade offers or uh, targeting him a little bit earlier in your startups. So Terry McLaurin was a mega athlete coming out of Ohio State. So he, um, you know, he's six foot 208 and runs a 435, and that is ridiculously fast for that size so just for a quick comparison everybody knows deshaun jackson's fast everybody knows ty hilton's fast those guys djax runs a 435 and hilton runs a 439 but they're both 30 and about 25 pounds lighter than mclaurin so mclaurin's an animal he's a fast guy so let's flash back to ohio state real quick so in 2015 Terry McLaurin was competing with a plethora of NFL talent at Ohio State. So the offense was running through Zeke. You had a little wide receiver by the name of Michael Thomas. Uh, You had a hybrid wide receiver running back, Savant Curtis Samuel. 
and one of my favorite deeper dynasty guys, Paris Campbell. So that's his freshman year. Basically doesn't see the field. Zeke runs for 1,800 yards. Even Michael Thomas only had 781 receiving yards that year. So year two, Michael Thomas and Zeke are gone. They get drafted. And JT Barrett comes in and only throws for 2,500 yards. It was crazy. The leading running back was Curtis Samuel. He was half running back, half wide receiver. Mike Weber was in there. All of a sudden, you know, McLaurin, they're like, we finally got to give this guy a chance. We got to get him worked into the offense really slowly. So he worked in very sparingly, gets about 114 yards on 11 receptions. 2017, my guy, your guy, J.K. Dobbins, rolls into town, giving Ohio State another RB to lean on. Traditionally a very run-heavy school, running a lot of running backs coming out of there. Um, so McLaurin's in the mix. All of a sudden, 436 yards. He's getting into the passing game. You got Paris Campbell, K.J. Hamler flanking out there. None of these guys are going for over 600 yards. So it's it's not a pass-heavy offense under J.T. Barrett. All of a sudden, 2018, Dwayne Haskins rolls into town, and he's like, we're going to air it out. So all of a sudden, you got Campbell, Hill, McLaurin, even Johnny Dixon's getting in there. Paris Campbell lights it up, 1,000-plus yards, and McLaurin has his best season by far at Ohio State, posting 700-plus yards on just 35 receptions. So just want to give that context so that people know when he was walking into the league last year as a guy who didn't break out, never had a huge target share, he was still a guy that could play. I mean, he never broke out, but even Michael Thomas at Ohio State was a late breakout at age 21.5. So sometimes the metrics are only worth so much, right? We love breakout age. We love these determinants, but it's only worth so much. So my thing on Terry McLaurin is, is when he finally got his chance to play, he shined in a big way. And did it at a power five school. You know, it's one of the biggest, one of the biggest programs in the country. Um, And then, and then all of a sudden you're, you're looking at Terry in the NFL. What does he do in his rookie year? Nobody's expecting much. He's playing with uh, Case Keenum and Dwayne Haskins, right? Bunch of bums. All of a sudden he explodes onto the scene, 58 receptions for 919 yards and, and seven touchdowns. And everybody's like, where did this come from? And the thing about the NFL is sometimes they miss on these guys, you know, and it's not like they drafted him late. He was still a third rounder, but sometimes you just never really see the talent until these guys get an opportunity. And we love age adjusted production for our college guys. Age adjusted in the NFL is, you know, just as predict, you know, just as predictable for, or, or it's, it's a good predictor of success, just a different way of looking at it. Right. And so there's a bunch of great things that you like about his rookie year. You know, he had 701 air yards on those 919 yards. It means he's getting downfield, catching long passes, stuff that is super predictive of future success in the NFL. Um, So he was number 23 in the league in air yards, um, number 14 in the league in yards per reception. So again, it just shows you he's getting down the sideline, getting over the middle of the field. Again, from not premier QB talent, right? Um, and the thing that stuck out to me the most, Dan, was you're looking back on the season and you're like, wow, who, you know, who are the big guys that are, are just great at going up and snatching it down? You know, you got Michael Thomas, you got DeAndre Hopkins, you got Julio Jones, and yet who is sitting at number one in contested catch rate in the NFL? It's my guy, Terry McLaurin. So I love Terry McLaurin. I think we're both high on him compared to consensus, but I'm even a little bit more higher than you are. Um, so not that we're that far apart, but I'd love for you to tell me why you got five wide receivers ranked above Terry McLaurin. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 a good question for sure because I think, as you said, I think we're both pretty high on the kid overall, and definitely uh, can see like what he's able to bring to the table. I want to see a little bit more, uh, most particularly just because I love the contested catch rate thing because that proves that it wasn't fluky in the sense of him just being able to get a bunch of yards after the catch, breakaways that weren't as uh, as challenging as some other wide receivers would have. He worked for it, and that's awesome. It's just now a few more pieces have entered the Redskins system, whereas I would say uh, there were very few options to be able to throw to uh, last year. And so he was the benefit of just literally having the target share available because no one else was going to race him for it there. Uh, so you have a few more that have uh, entered the the system there. And so it'll be interesting to see if that starts to get uh, diluted a little bit. And then I really do want to see how Haskins progresses because I think we can see, I uh, say that we saw some promise in what he was able to deliver last year. Um, but every wide receiver is always going to be capped by their uh, QB uh, that is throwing them the ball. And so if there is this continuation of, he has some good games, but he's kind of continues on a little bit of a mediocre trend. It's hard to have Terry, although you can see what he as a player can do, uh, be rated against some other guys that where they have a, a larger opportunity and potentially a better QB throwing them the ball. So that's my only like apprehensions with uh, Terry and putting him a little higher in my rankings, just because I think there's a few things I want to see about the Redskin system as a whole. Yeah, that's fair. I, the only game in town argument is certainly, certainly valid. We've seen it before. Guys that are the only game in town get a little competition and all of a sudden they might regress a little bit. Uh, the thing I love to see is just the efficiency. And again, coming to the league, Nobody expected anything. It's it's rare for rookies to break out like this in general, even if you're a first, second round pick, let alone a third round pick who is not the premier guy at his college competing with all these guys for touchdowns. So I just love the efficiency and a little higher than you are on him. And no, honestly, I could see myself moving him a lot higher uh, if we see even the first couple weeks of the, uh, the season start off really nice. I uh, just want to see a little bit more. I love it. So let's let's get into another receiver that uh, that I think we might be a little further apart on. A uh, guy you got here at uh, yeah, tell me about him. Yeah, so we got a uh, Kenny Galladay here, uh, who did very well uh, this past 2019 season, and so uh, able to kind of rattle off a little things about him. But first, to just kind of put into position where I am on him, uh, wide receiver nine for 24 overall. Uh, Max, you're at uh, wide receiver 18, so 39 overall. So a difference of about 15 there. Uh, so enough for us to be able to kind of have a conversation and kind of see um, where I might be a little bit higher on him as compared to you. So the biggest thing is looking at a little history there. Uh, he is a hyper-efficient wide receiver. He does so much with targets that are uh, so little compared to basically other teams uh, and and players that are in the NFL there. So there's a nice little stat there where only 16 receivers have totaled more than uh, 2,000 receiving yards in the past two seasons with Galladay totaling ninth most yards despite recording the least amount of receptions out of those 16 players. So he's able to do a lot with a little, which is really nice to be able to see because it means that he's not as dependent on just volume alone. Uh, 2019, of course, we saw him really start to explode. Uh, 2018, I think he finished uh, PPR wide receiver 21. Uh, certainly finished a lot higher uh, for this past year. And so led the league in touchdowns with 11 overall. 
um, seventh in receiving yards, third in uh, yards per reception, and sixth per, uh, yards per target. So his efficiency definitely increased. Uh, as I said, 2018, uh, with 119 targets, uh, he finished as wide receiver 21. In 2019, he finished um, as wide receiver 9 on 116 targets. So pretty much the same amount of targets, just got even more efficient with those. And that's despite much worse QB play. Uh, he only had Stafford for half the season. Uh, he was without him for eight games total. And so while this is certainly a conversation of Kenny Galladay being efficient, it's more also anchored in the point that Matthew Stafford has some gas in the tank and there's still plenty more for him to be able to accomplish. In fact, last year uh, in his eight games that he played before injury, he was on a tear. He was definitely in line to be a top five quarterback, at least given the numbers that he was putting up. He was fourth in touchdown rate, second in yards per attempt and second in yards per completion. Uh, and as I said, was on pace for a, a personal record breaking season uh, before he went down with a back injury. Um, as comparison to Jeff Driscoll, who then started to step in for at least three games, uh, he had a touchdown rate of 3.8 yards per attempt, uh, 6.5 and yards per completion, 11. So literally uh, at least 50% decrease in some of the areas when it comes to uh, comes to the touchdown rate uh, and a sizable decrease when it came to overall efficiency in the passing game for him. So, Max, you got something there? I, I just want to say I, I love how you list Stafford. I love how you list Driscoll, but you're shoveling dirt on David Blau's grave right now. I, I want to know what I happened during the Blau it. games, Dan. <laughs> the Blau, I think I looked at them, and they were worth not mentioning here as it, as it stood. So uh, across the board, because I think in those games as well, uh, again, subpar Q, QB play, wasn't able to, at least when we're comparing – wasn't up to the Stafford levels that you would hope and love to see for the second half of the season that could have been for Mr. Kenny Galladay. Um, and so uh, the other big thing that comes along with that, that helps to highlight that point is uh, Galladay was ninth um, for calculated Delta in air yards versus actual yards. So basically that's intended sending them down the field and being able to throw a ball and not having the actual catchable balls to be able to actualize those yards. So uh, a huge issue that, uh, for example, Curtis Samuel had um, as of last year as well, where he was intended on so many targets down the field, but due to poor QB play, wasn't able to actually rein them in because they were deemed uncatchable. Um, so Kenny Galladay, with that included and in how awesome he was, he still had about 566 quote-unquote missing yards on yards he could have gained if QB play and accuracy was a little better uh, given the situation. So when you look at what's new going into uh, 2020, um, the factor is besides having uh, Stafford come back into the system, um, they didn't add any other real wide receiver competition. Uh Marvin Jones, love him. I think he's extremely talented, and I think he's rated a lot lower than people um, should be giving him credit for. Um, but he's certainly um, pretty much the only other receiving true threat because you've got Danny Amendola, former Patriot. We love him, but he's not going to garner the uh, the target and respect that he needs to uh, to be able to 
uh, say anything against Kenny Galladay there. And then fifth round pick, uh, Quintus Cephas, who I do believe is a really good uh, guy to be able to uh, stash on your bench for later down the line. I think he's going to have some really big opportunity come 2021, uh, but he's not going to, especially with all this COVID stuff going around, uh, garner and funnel off uh, or siphon off any targets from Kenny Galladay at this time. Put him on your uh, taxi squads. Exactly. Put him on your taxi squad, folks. Um, and then, of course, the run game uh, that I believe we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, you also now have more of a force that has to be reckoned with at the line of scrimmage as compared to previous years, where I think you could focus more on the overall receivers because you didn't have as much of a run game in Detroit. Now you've got both on Johnson and DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Swift, who I really think are going to be a fantastic duo in being able to make defenses reckon against the run game as compared uh, two prior years. So overall, I think it adds up to a really nice opportunity for, I don't think it's an amazing uh, leap forward as we've maybe talked about other guys. Uh, I really think it's at least some stability where you look at some uh, efficiency that Galladay has, plus him getting back for half of the season or more, uh, hopefully a full season, uh, a really star quarterback who I think is going to put up a lot of yards come 2020 season. Yeah, it's a great argument. Um, it's very hard, and I know we're pretty far apart on Galladay. It's very hard to hate Kenny Galladay. Um, the man's a beast. I love watching him on the field. He's super fun to watch. I'm I'm scrolling through my rankings right now, and he's in just such a dicey area where sometimes an argument like that makes you want to bump a guy up a couple slots, somebody else down a couple spots. He's He's in the area for me where... You know, I got Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes above him. So like those guys, you know, depending on your format, we're talking mostly single QB here for folks at home. Um, You know, those guys bring a ton of value for a long time. You know, I got George Kittle ranked above him. But really, you look at his age, you know, he's going to be 27 pretty much this season. And everything you just laid out for him makes him kind of more compelling to me over Allen Robinson, who's getting a new QB. Uh, Mike Evans, who just got a new QB, albeit a wonderful QB. Uh, and, you know, efficiency is the thing you want to see in Dynasty. Anytime you can be buying efficiency and proven producers, you want to do so. So uh, you may have just swayed me a little bit to bump Kenny G up a couple slots. Um, you know, Mike Evans throughout his career, as as amazing as he is as a wide receiver, has been notably inefficient um, and mostly just a volume-fueled guy. And Allen Robinson is a freak athlete, but man, the Bears offense has been a mess for a couple of years and I'm not necessarily sure Nick Foles is going to be the one to sort it out either. Exactly. That's the one thing where you see those, the situations that some of those other guys are in. If you had Kenny Galladay versus Allen Robinson in the same system, then that becomes an immediate like, oh, that's really hard. But I feel like the uh, opportunity that Galladay is going to have given the system, especially with the increased run game where he's still working off of David Montgomery over on the bears, where who knows if people are really seeing him as a threat anymore. Uh, those are the types of guys where I start to see Galladay creep ahead of them in my rankings uh, due to just the opportunities that are going to be presented in 2020. Yeah. And and your argument, it's, it's hard to argue against the efficiency again, right? So you talk about opportunities. I think the one hole I might be able to poke is, you know, Stafford comes back, Everybody's talking about TJ Hawkinson, who I think we both love, maybe taking a leap, uh, maybe for once in the last couple of years, Marvin Jones plays 15, 16 games. 
And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into one of these guys a little bit later, but uh, you're talking about my guy DeAndre Swift here, who I think has proved that he's a more than solid pass catcher. Um, and, and I believe that'll translate to the NFL level. So when you're efficient, you're always going to be great, but you could maybe make a case that he might see a few less targets. And maybe if, if the running game's a little stronger, lose some of those, you know, potential red zone looks. So I'm by no means saying I have an airtight case against Galladay. In fact, I might have to reevaluate my rankings after we get off the line. Uh, but that's that's an argument that you could definitely make for that. I agree. No, that's the one thing is I think last year you saw a few less of those receivers uh, who were healthy for the game. And so now when they're truly full force, what's going to happen? And that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. And I'm very disappointed in you not doing your full homework. Next time you get on the podcast, I'm expecting a full report on the David Blau games and how Kenny G performed <laughs> during those outings. Apologies, Apologies all around. <laughs> all right. So, so we were about 15 part. 15 slots apart on Galladay. Um, let's get to a guy that we're a little closer on, but I am definitely a good bit higher on than you. And I want to talk about the new running back for the former St. Louis Rams, now Los Angeles Rams. I still can't never say that right the first time. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about Cam Akers. Let's and again, it. you know, you, for, for better or for worse, have the benefit of uh, some of the guys you've talked about playing in the NFL, right? I, I got that one year with Terry McLaurin, but, uh, but now we're talking about a guy that doesn't even have any NFL experience. So I want to dig into Cam Akers' profile coming into the NFL some of the trials and tribulations at Florida State, and uh, see if I can't sell you a little bit on Cam Akers here. I'm so, good. Currently, I have Cam Akers at number 17 overall. That's RB12 for those keeping track. Um, and you're a little bit more, I think, in line, but still above consensus with him at uh, number 29 overall, RB16. So it's about a uh, about an 11, uh, or actually it should be 12 point difference here. I screwed up my notes uh, on on him position wise. So. Let's look at Cam Akers, a guy who stands 5'10", 217 pounds. So he is that workhorse size that you love to see. Anything over 210 pounds, those guys usually provide the durability for those 80% plus work shares. Um, and, and he's a thick dude. He's got 71st percentile BMI. So again, another thing that you love to see on between the tackles, guys, taking hits. You love to see a sturdy built dude. Um, and he's explosive. He, he, he runs a 447. Um, and he's got 60th percentile burst, even put up 50th percentile, you know, bench reps, which is about 20 reps on the bench at the running back position. So he is a great overall athlete with some wheels and stepped right onto the field at Florida state and rushed for over a thousand yards. So comes in as a true freshman, thousand yards, rushing 16 passes, um, which, you know, you always love to see those early receiving production roles for, for the running backs. And, and he's sharing a field, you know, with, with the junior at the time, it was, um, you know, Jocks Patrick don't really think he went on to do anything at the NFL, but again, you know, comes right into that freshman role. That was 2017, 2018, more of the same. They're really playing. And I got, I want to hammer this home. This is a bad Florida state team. This is not the Florida, the Florida Gators that you remember from yesteryears. Um, you know, they're, they're going seven and six and five and sective, five and seven respectively in these years terrible offensive line, maybe even atrocious offensive line. They're ranked outside the top hundred by a lot of scouting services. Um, so acres comes in again and kind of does more of the same little, little regression in the, uh, in the running work, 706 yards, but again, shows off his receiving skills, catching 23 passes on the year. Finally, we get to the year I want to talk about, which is cam acres 
going beast mode. So 2019 hits. Patrick's long gone. I don't even know what he did. Akers goes beast mode, rushes for over 1,100 yards, 1,144 to be exact, and grabs 30 balls out of the backfield for 225 receiving yards. So basically, 1,400-yard season for our guy, Cam Akers, coupled with 18 total touchdowns. So absolutely monster, monster year playing, again, behind one of the worst offensive lines in the country, let alone for a Power 5 school. Um, and, and not only was he, uh, rushing like crazy, he was doing it in style. So Dan, if I told you the cam Akers forced a missed tackle on 25% of his touches, that'd probably be impressive, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, he forced a missed tackle on 32% of his touches. So every third time this guy's touching the ball, he's okie doke making somebody miss. And you just love to see that. You love to see the elusiveness in open field. Um, and, and, I think this that's a mind-blowing stat to me alone for a guy playing behind that O-line. Even more mind-blowing to me is of his 1,144 rushing yards, 904 of them came after contact. So this dude's getting hit. He's getting hit behind the line. He's getting hit at the line, and he is not going down. Sign of a true warrior. Um, so really, again, I don't, you know, projecting this into the NFL, I don't have any NFL production to lean on, but just in summary... Love Cam Akers. He's young. He's only 20, just turned 21 years old. To me, he's a premier talent that prevailed in a terrible situation. You know, you you look at some of these guys, airdrop Cam Akers into Ohio State, okay? Airdrop Cam Akers behind Jonathan Taylor's 2,000-yard Wisconsin offensive line, bunch of road graders out there, and see what he does. So to me, he's he's headed to a team that had a lot of offensive line woes in the NFL last year. Nothing new to Cam Akers. Cam Early, uh, Cam Gur- <laughs> Todd Gurley, not Cam Gurley, went and rushed for 850 yards behind that offensive line last year. And that was only on 72% of the uh, RB carries and targets, right? So even a guy like Todd Gurley, a little banged up. I think everybody's a little bit worried about his knees and durability at this point. Even he went for 850 plus yards last year. Um, and, and the one thing that we love to see opportunity for, uh, for running backs for everybody really, but is, uh, is the red zone opportunities and, and Todd Gurley, even in a down year on the, on the LA Rams was number three in the league in red zone touches. So Gurley's always been a great running back and a great receiver. Cam Akers is those things. He's, he's shown it. He's shown it at every level and he's shown he can do it behind a bad offensive line. They took him with a high draft pick, which means they're investing in him. I know there's other running backs there, but to me, Cam Akers has the profile. He's super young, and I think he's set up for success under what everybody can agree is a great offensive coach in Sean McVay. I got him at 17. Tell me maybe a little bit why you got him at number 29. Absolutely. And again, I think we've both talked about the fact that we're both in on acres. We love what he's able to do. I love uh, the fact that he's got that elusiveness with forcing his tackles. Like he's, he's a, he's a shifty uh, guy who I think is really going to make his way into the NFL and do really well. The things I worry about is a um, McVay as uh, a progressive a coach as he is in a, a fantastic offensive mind. 
I do worry with the uh, situation that they had with Gurley, albeit he was a premier high paid running back that they need to be able to get their money out of. I do worry if he has potentially uh, been burned a little bit by having the true full workhorse running back over being able to load balance a little bit more. And there is also uh, just some ambiguity when it comes to you have Darrell Henderson, who is there, who they were very high on, and they called the Camara potential for their system last year. Absolutely. Um, who did not get the opportunity, but absolutely has a lot of the talent that we've talked about with some of these other running backs uh, that we just haven't been able to see how they plan on utilizing him. So there are plenty of systems where you see these rookie running backs getting plugged in where you're like, man, there's going to be some fantastic usage. Uh, We're going to clearly either the person uh, that they are going to be competing with is certainly not going to put up as much of a fight. Uh, whatever it might be, I feel like there's just enough ambiguity with the Rams right now where they have Darrell Henderson and they also have Malcolm Brown that for whatever reason they were, uh, the Detroit Lions had an offer extended out to him and the Rams ran them back in saying, hey, we want to keep this guy um, and keep him a little longer to be able to keep him in the system and be able to utilize him the way that we want to, uh, a familiarity with the system. So I just do worry where there's enough ambiguity within the total system where I'm just apprehensive he's going to get the full workload we want to see out of running backs, rookie running backs going into the season this year. And he's another guy where the potential, absolutely fantastic, really high ceiling. I just can't put him over some of the other guys that are existing right now until I see at least the first little bit, um, first few weeks of how they're starting to work him into the system. Because I do also believe that people like Darrell Henderson uh, are really good at uh, running back as well and could eat into some of his overall workload. Uh, but I do love the fact that at least given the scenario of all the guys that are on that team, the person who's been able to overcome offensive line deficiencies, the easiest and the best is Cam Akers. And so there's a big opportunity for him there. Whew. Love me some cam makers. Those are valid points, but whoo, love me some cam makers. All right. I think we got about one more a piece here. We'll save the rest for next time. Ew. But um, let's pivot to a guy who's quietly, quietly doing a whole lot in the NFL. You're wearing his jersey right now. Why don't you tell exactly. me who we're about to talk about? So we're going to talk about my boy, Tyler Boyd. Your boy. A boy. My Boyd, if you will. Uh, I'm high on the guy. And I think he's shown a lot over the past two seasons, most specifically, uh, that I don't think he gets enough credit for. Uh, So just to rattle off really quick, I have him as a wide receiver 15, uh, 37 overall. Max, we have him at wide receiver 29, 55 overall. So 18 spot difference between the two of us. So as I said, I feel like he has done some things that he doesn't get the full credit for. I'm kind of going to break it down a little bit. So first off, he's had two of the quietest, in, in my opinion, underappreciated 1,000-yard receiving seasons uh, of any of the guys over the past two years. Uh, he's been able to really piece it together on the Bengals, which, again, I think we can all agree, not the best team, at least over the past two years. I think there's some really nice things that are trending upwards. Um, but to be able to do that uh, definitely takes some talent uh, to be able to there however i think what you see is a lot of people see him as uh the counterpart to aj green uh and uh continually say now okay aj green's coming back that's a big issue for boyd what's going to happen and we need to knock him down a couple pegs and so the biggest thing about that is in 2018 
when uh, he played nine games with A.J. Green healthy, uh, that was his breakout year. He had the opportunity to really put up some fantastic numbers. And during those nine games, his average points per game was actually higher than A.J. Green. He had a uh, almost 23% target share. His catch rate was almost 75%. Uh, and he was on pace during that, uh, those uh, set of games for nine touchdowns. He was able to get five, but his pace was nine during that time frame while he was playing with A.J. Green. So he had this huge opportunity to basically not be covered by the uh the the first cornerbacks or anything else uh from the defense and be able to really just be super effective uh from the slots so during that time frame Boyd accounted for 25 percent of Dalton's touchdowns and I mentioned that most specifically because we're going to come back to that when I rattle off some other uh stats going down the line but um once AJ Green was injured by the way a lot of people use this argument to say once AJ wasn't on the field during that season um, then Boyd immediately was not as effective. And that's there's certainly some differences there, but the biggest thing is Dalton also went down just a, a game or two afterwards. Uh, so comparing Boyd during that season uh, with the in and out splits for A.J. Green is kind of disingenuous because he also didn't have the same consistent quarterback during that time. Uh, regardless, he finished as the wide receiver 17 in PPR. Uh, so amazing ability to be a fantastic middle-of-the-road uh, wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside in plenty of the games that he played. And again, looking at, and I, I always hate to, to go so retroactive and kind of extrapolate out, but just to show how awesomely efficient he was during that time frame, during that 16 game pace that I mentioned earlier, uh, when AJ Green was on the field uh, during that 18, 2018 season, uh, if you extrapolate that over 16 games, he would have been the wide receiver two in 2019. And that's not a wide receiver two. That would be the wide receiver two, only behind Michael Thomas, if you were to take that pace and apply it to this past season. But of course, we're talking about uh, later seasons, and so can't use just that one argument to be able to, uh, to, be able to put into place. But 2019, then you had 13 games with Dalton. Uh, without A.J. Green as the wide receiver one pulling off targets there. So he still did pretty well as it continued to go along, 14.6 in average points per game. Again, keeping a pretty steady target share of that 24. He was like 22 to 23 previous. Uh, catch rate went down a little bit, and the touchdowns, uh, of course, went down a little bit too. Um Boyd yet again accounted for 25% of the total touchdowns uh, for Andy Dalton during that time frame. And he was seventh overall in 2019 targets. So a big opportunity was presented to him, but he couldn't fully capitalize on it because Dalton all at during that period was having the worst career completion percentage since his rookie year and the offensive line that they were hoping to beef up that year. Uh, but due to injuries fell a little short was not making it any easier to convert those over to touchdowns. And Oh, with that still finished as the wide receiver 18 in PPR for those two seasons during all those struggles. So those are two seasons he was able to piece together uh, with a lot of troubles that went down with either having AJ green uh, not there to help assist and not being the sole target on uh, the team, as well as some overall QB uh, play issues that resulted. So what's new going into 2020 that gives me even more faith that despite the uh, wide receiver 18 and 17 finishes, he had the two prior seasons that he could even exceed those going forward. So this is going to be the second year of the coaching system uh, with Zach Taylor at the helm. 
Um, for those that were kind of looking at it going into last year, he comes from the McVay coaching tree. Uh, and he loves to feed his uh, slot receiver. Um, most particularly looking at like the McVay system, that's a Cooper Cup who had the biggest uh, touchdown targets of the total team as of last year. So a big opportunity to be able to fill a role um, that he's been very proficient in. The Bengals were also sixth in pass uh, overall pass attempts uh, in 2019 with 616 overall. So about just shy of 40 per game. Um, so Boyd again is usually demanding as we looked at prior years, 22 to 24% of overall target share. So that's 130 to 145 targets pretty easily, assuming all things consistent that are going to be going into 2020. And in looking at the way that the overall team is structured, uh, they have a lot of potential to be like the 2019 Buccaneers with bad offense, with a lot of passing, uh, an area that's going to be coming from the Zach Taylor offense, multiple wide receivers to be able to spread it out a little bit. And they're in a tough division. So they're going to be forced to continue to pass more. So anyone that's looking at it, seeing any regression in the opportunity of total passing yards, uh, a lot of things hold strong that's going to prove that that's going to go into the 2020 season. I just want to add for everybody at home, you said bad offense. I don't think you meant that the Buccaneers, I know you meant bad defense, but you said oh, bad offense, you. bad defense, a lot of points against, they get to air it out. Exactly. They have to air it out due to poor defensive play. There we go. Keep going. Um, surrounding cast, the other thing too, um, uh, first we'll be able to mention him a little bit later, but uh, Joe Burrow, the 101 pick, uh, pretty sure they got a, a decent quarterback coming their way uh, for this 2020 season. Oh, and by the way, uh, their first round pick from last year, offensive tackle Jonah Williams is going to be coming back, uh, who's going to overall help the offensive line and be able to provide more opportunity to be able to make the passes they need. Uh, then, of course, you have A.J. Green and T. Higgins, who was just uh, drafted as well. Uh, I firmly believe that T. Higgins has been chosen to be the replacement over time for A.J. Green. He's a fantastic outside and perimeter wide receiver, uh, and he's not going to take attention away from Boyd, who is almost exclusively playing uh, in the slot for most of the time that he has there. So it's going to allow uh, Boyd as well, with the addition of those guys, to not be the top priority of defenses. Uh, and so, as I said, Boyd is uh, pretty much the only notable wa uh, slot receiver on the team. So less competitions for snaps and overall share. Um, as an example, he played 69% of his snaps in the slot and had the fourth most slot targets in the NFL, only behind Edelman, Cup, and Tate. So when the opportunity is going to be extrapolated into the 2020 season, he's still got a huge, huge overall share that he has available to him. And then, as we were saying before, the defense, still not great. So that means more pass attempts, uh, or at least consistent with last year, which means the volume is still going to be there. But the most important thing that I think I can kind of call out in terms of what's going to be really shifting uh, in 2020 as compared to 2019 is Joe Burrow. There is a new QB in town who I do believe should be an automatic upgrade from Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton was pretty consistent year over year. Um, I, I hate the dog on him because I feel like he's definitely uh, gets the, the uh, bad end of the stick on a lot of things. But uh, in 2019, he started to really experience some issues. Uh, in 2019, he had a 3% touchdown rate, which was down from his typical 5-plus uh, percent in 2017-2018. And his completion rate was about 59%, uh, which was 30th in the league 
uh, as compared to other quarterbacks, which meant that he was worse than Kyle Allen, backup QB, and Mason Rudolph, backup QB, uh, for the last season. But what about David Blau, Dan? <laughs> I, I want to know about David Blau. I, I will do the research. And I'll let you know how he compares to David Blau, too. He might have been better than David Blau. I'm pretty sure he's better than David Blau. So we have that. Wouldn't surprise me if David but, Blau was better. That actually might be true, too. Again, another point for why this upgrade is going to be really critical for uh, for Tyler Boyd here. Most particularly because for when it comes to QB tendencies and what uh, Joe Burrow loves to do, he loves to throw to the slot. Uh, he targeted, I think you've heard of him, Justin Jefferson uh, oh, on yes. the uh, offense coming into the league this year. I believe he um, wrote he the Constitution the, with our founding fathers. He, yes, he did. No, <laughs> the good old Justin Jefferson, one of our founding fathers. Um, he's a similarly sized wide receiver to Boyd, too, uh, which is helpful. And he got 18 touchdowns from Burrow last year. Pretty impressive. Uh, and that's because uh, almost 54% of Joe Burrow's passing yards went to the slot. Uh, and Joe Burrow had 35 slot touchdown passes uh, in, uh, that year, which no other QB had uh, over uh, 20 there. So in 2018, Tyler Boyd led all players, or excuse me, since 2018, Tyler Boyd has led all players in receiving yards from the slot. He is the slot leader during the past two seasons, and you're now getting a QB who loves to target the slots. And Boyd is um, PFF's number seven graded, uh, highest graded receiver in the slot with minimum of uh, 50 targets. So you've got other guys like Golden Tate, really good slot receiver. Chris Godwin, really good. He's in that type of company, which is really encouraging to be able to see. Uh, so the biggest thing, when you look at the differences between Andy Dalton and Joe Burrow, this is where I start to get a little nerdy, but it makes me really excited about the opportunity. Um, you have to imagine that Joe Burrow coming into the system with being the 101 uh, is able to hopefully throw for like a 4.5 to 5% uh, touchdown rate in his rookie year. And I say that most particularly because you can look at other rookies uh, who have been able to do the same that were much uh, lower graded than Joe Burrow coming into their uh, rookie season. So you have Daniel Jones was able to do uh, have a 5.2% uh, touchdown rate. You had Gardner Minshew at a 4.5 and even again, Mason Rudolph at a 4.6 much higher than the 3% that Andy Dalton was throwing. And certainly you would hope that uh, Joe Burrow is able to at least match those types of rookies. So if you look at the um, past few years, as I said, he J Boyd has held uh, about a 25% um, share on the overall TDs. So if we were to look at what's going to be happening in the Bengals offense as a whole, you would expect that if they're going to throw 600 times or more as compared to where they were last year, which was 616, I believe I said, uh, and at a 4.5 to 5% touchdown rate, you should be able to lock Boyd in, especially being a slot target for Joe Burrow at at least seven touchdowns there. And so my overall projection for Boyd is nearing 100, 100 receptions for 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns, uh, giving him a 12 uh, yards per reception rate there. Uh, I don't think that's outrageous. And then when you look at what that's actually going to result in, that's going to be in the teens at least uh, for the 2020 season when it comes to wide receivers. So in my opinion, for someone who's being drafted as the wide receiver 34, even though in PPR leagues he's put up high teens 
uh, for both of the past two seasons. I'm going to take him over some of the other guys that I do believe, yes, have that immediate wide receiver one potential because they're not being faced with the AJ Greens of the world. But I absolutely do believe that his situation overall has only gotten better. Uh, and you really need to, he might not be the sexiest pick overall, but I really do believe he's going to exceed his ADP like crazy and uh, overall be able to produce more than some of the other higher upside guys that really don't have the floors that he has. Woo! That was a heavy breakdown for all the folks at home. I hope you guys can follow those numbers. I know I struggle with it, but uh, that's that's a compelling case for Boyd. Um, you know, I I think we both like Tyler Boyd. Um, I'm gonna quickly quickly see where we are. Yeah, so us combined, you know, not that we need to get into this too much, but we're above consensus on Tyler Boyd in our uh, aggregate dynasty rankings. So I think we both like Boyd. Um, that's. That's a lot to digest. There's a lot we could get into here. Um, I do like Joe Burrow. Uh, whether I think he is, you know, an instant perfect QB or not is up for debate, but I do think eventually he'll probably be an upgrade on Andy Dalton, who, just to put some respect on Andy Dalton's name, probably one of the best non-first-round quarterbacks of the last 20 years. Most of the time after you get outside the first round, those guys do nothing. Uh, fairly successful career. So what's up, Andy Dalton? That, that's nope, a shout nope, out for you not, not to throw shade at him at all but. <laughs> no i know you're just talking about the numbers so um i think my one if i had to pick a if i had to pick a side to take on the you know anti-board argument and maybe explain why i'm a little bit lower on him or, or actually a good bit lower on him than you are um is you know he's a slot guy which i love you know you you listen to some of the smartest dudes in the fantasy world talk about slot targets and what they're worth compared to a normal target uh rich rebar is a great example rich i love you one of the godfathers of of fantasy football metrics um it's it's they're they're not going up against those alpha corners right those guys are not typically following people into the slot you're typically facing a number two or a number three corner and you're getting those easier matchups which probably explains a lot of Tyler Boyd's success because he is a dynasty metric head darling. He could be their poster child, not a great athlete, Mm -hmm. right? Pretty much sub athletics across the board, uh, but great breakout age had a great dominator at Pitt, um, and, and, you know, just really came into the league and after, you know, one year of acclimating, uh, really took off. Like you said, two quiet thousand yard seasons, Looking at the guys that I have ranked ahead of him, there's some outliers here, but for the most part, they're guys that to me have a little bit more of that alpha outside receiver profile and are not just playing primarily in the slot. Uh, There's certainly, you know, it's not a perfect list. I do have some guys on here that play the slot and I have some guys that are still so new to the league, you know, DK Metcalf, you know, Christian Kirk being a couple of those, some rookies in here. We don't know exactly what their role is going to be yet. Uh, But I think that might be the one thing where I would I think based on everything you just laid out, it'd almost be impossible to argue against Tyler Boyd being a consistent top 18 to 24 producer, if not higher. Um, I just, you know, might say some of these guys that I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through the list. Not that you, again, didn't make a great argument to move, uh, move him up, but you know, Stefan Diggs is one of those guys that's close in that range, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Jerry Judy and Denzel Mims for rookies. 
Denzel Mims, Judy, I think would be more of that same, uh, probably slot, maybe a little bit more on the outside, but maybe a little slot kind of clone of Tyler Boyd. Denzel Mims, I think has the potential to play anywhere. Um, you know, but again, once you start getting up into the guys that I have a lot higher, you know, you start talking about Cooper cup, you know, Calvin Ridley, you know, some of these guys are either a little younger or have had better seasons in the past, but are all in a similar age group. And then once you get past those guys, it really goes up into the guys with just the alpha number one wide receiver profile. I don't think Tyler Boyd's there. I still like him a lot. And I think you're, uh, you did a lot of homework to realize that, you know, if all goes well for Joe Burrow and there is a 2020 NFL season, also true. T- Tyler Boyd's probably going to be just fine and uh, maybe should be a little bit higher on my rankings and certainly get a little bit more respect from consensus. Yeah, he's just one in particular where I think uh, I weight some of his production a little bit more over some of the potential of some of those rookies there. And that's just the, the philosophical difference that I think you and I tend to have a little bit there. Um, where you'll give some benefit of the doubt and then back them out if they're not meeting the expectations. Uh, I just have a harder time with some of the guys who are coming in, uh, putting them ahead of someone who's consistently putting up those thousand yards where he can start to be all the totally different philosophical uh, when it comes to the type of player that they are. But like a Brandon Cooks who continually is underrated, even though he continues to put up thousand yard seasons uh and isn't the full sexy pick that others want to have for the true tried and true wide receiver one which is funny an example to bring because i feel like brandon cooks is so boomer bust where i feel like tyler boyd is a model for consistency exactly yeah it's more the end result than the actual play they're also totally different in terms of the way that they play etc but that type of guy uh jarvis landry same thing you know just those those types of guys where they're consistently in those like teens to at most high teens and uh just always the allure of what could be the true next breakout wide receiver one as compared to those that are just so solid in those teen areas that's where it gets uh the 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 slight difference on how people weight their value yeah i i feel you man so let's uh let's talk about one last guy let's round it out here because we were 18 spots apart on tyler boyd so let's bump it up one notch and we're going to talk about a guy that I have 19 spots higher than you, which uh, yes, again, you do. usually we're pretty aggressive in some of these rankings. So uh, <laughs> to be up to be plus 19 is pretty high. So let's round it out and talk about DeAndre Swift again, not a guy, unfortunately, that we have uh, the NFL production for. So we're going to talk mostly prospect profile and, and project a little bit into the NFL here, sure. but DeAndre Swift, again, we got a group of running backs this year coming in that are just ridiculous. I know we both love these top five. Uh, if you want to throw Keyshawn Vaughn in there, if you think he's a late first rounder, I know we both like Vaughn. Top six guys, they all just have really great profiles. They're big workhorse backs. And DeAndre Swift is no exception. Um, you know, 5'8", 212 pounds. Again, like I said, you see above that 210-pound threshold, all of a sudden, you know, you're like, this guy can put, put up between the tackles. He can go outside, catch passes. He can take the hits. He's a beast. So 87th percentile BMI, again, joining Cam Akers on Team Thick. Um, just a dude that's that's hopefully built to last. And again, runs a 448, 62nd percentile burst. So fast, explosive, everything you want to see. And to just dig into some of his college metrics, highest, you know, one of the highest, if not the highest out of this group, 77th percentile yards per carry. Um, and 75th percentile college target share. So the dude gets the rock and he takes it far and he can catch. 
Um, so just to get into a little bit of the history on DeAndre Swift, and uh, let me uh, back up before uh, I get too far into that and say so. Just I'm 19. I'm 19 spots higher. I have him at 18 overall, running back 13. You have him at 37 overall, running back 18. So let me see if I can sell you to bump up DeAndre Swift. I was just gonna say, hit me. So 2017, DeAndre Swift's a freshman at Georgia, and uh, we all know that a lot of great backs come out of Georgia. So he gets on the field as a true freshman, and he runs for 618 yards on 81 rush attempts, which is a very cool 7.6 yards per carry. And he did all this while sharing a backfield with two, not one, but two future top 40 NFL draft picks. Dan, can you tell me who those players at Georgia were? Uh, I can. So we have one, Nicholas Chubb, that we just talked about a little while ago. Correct. Second, we have our patriot, Sony Michelle. Yes, Sony Michelle, former first rounder, Sony Michelle. So that's exactly right. Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle are on that team. And what did DeAndre Swift do his rookie year in the SEC? He made Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle watch him play football from the bench. So. Nick Chubb, true freshman, competing with stellar future NFL talent, 618 rushing yards, also catches 19 passes, which was more than both the other running backs. Sony had nine that year, and Chubb only had four. Again, maybe Kareem Hunt takes some of that passing work away from Chubb. Um, so so that that's his freshman year. 2018 hits. We know what happens. Sony Michelle goes in the late first of the Pats, and Chubb was either the second or third uh, round. Uh, sorry. Either the 202 or the 203 to the Browns. So all of a sudden, Swift's in control, commands the starting role, rushes for over 1,000 yards again, adding 300 receiving yards on 32 receptions. And he's doing all this while sharing a backfield because that's what Georgia does. They keep their backs fresh. They tell them, hey, you're not going to get the treads worn off your tires. You're going to go to the NFL. You're going to be a top draft pick. So he's sharing a backfield with Elijah Holyfield, who's actually a pretty big hammer. Never really did anything in the NFL, but he's a big dude. So that that was their one-two punch. So Georgia keeps their guys fresh. Sony Michelle up. <laughs> DeAndre Swift, cool thousand yards, 300 receiving yards. Finally, we get to his junior year. Swift goes out there and rushes for over 1,200 yards on less than 200 carries. So he's averaging 6.2 yards per carry. And he shows again, he can catch 24 receptions. In my mind, I just ran you through three seasons. His freshman year competing with elite talent all the way through him still sharing a backfield the next two years. 1,000 yards those second two years. And he adds 24 receptions that last year, solidifying him to be as a premier all-purpose back in the SEC, which we talk about. We talk about this all the time, Dan. The SEC is the toughest conference. You're facing the hardest-hitting linebackers, the smartest, smartest defensive players in the in the uh, NCAA. This conference is no joke. So in summary, Swift excelled all three years at the SEC. Toughest conference in the nation. Not even Chubb, not even Michelle could keep him off the field his rookie year, which just tells you how good he is. He has great athleticism and is arguably the most accomplished receiver out of all the backs we're talking about. You know, people are going to point to Clyde Edwards Hilaire and that outlier season, outlier in my opinion, outlier 55 yard or 55 reception season that he had last year. DeAndre Swift was doing it every year. Didn't matter what year it was. It's true. So I just think he's a stellar athlete 
all around all purpose skill set and the lions made a big investment in him so they go they go similar to uh your boy nick chubb you know who you love he's not a first round pick but he's a very very early second round pick which just shows a huge investment the lions have had some durability issues with backs past uh carry on went down last year and we saw that they basically had to string together a backfield it didn't work that well um so huge opportunity on the lions and he gets to play behind what what I think is a really sleeper offensive line. Um, so they got Frank Ragnow as their center, who PFF had graded as their number one center in the NFL midway through last year, which I, I just don't think a lot of people think about the Lions having a great offensive line for yeah, run blocking. True. And when you think about the anchor of the offensive line, it's always the center. So having the number one center in football helps. They also have Taylor Decker, who... Not at the level of Frank Ragnow, but was named number one left tackle in the league at times last year. He made multiple PFF teams of the week. So you got two really, really premier talents on the offensive line. Um, I think, you know, your boy Kenny Galladay is a threat on the outside. Hopefully they get a healthy Marvin Jones. I think we both love TJ Hawkinson, not just his ability as a pass catcher, but also what a stellar blocker he is. I just think there's a massive opportunity for DeAndre Swift to step right into that offense, not only just grind between the tackles for uh, for great yards per carry, but also wheel routes out of the backfield, flare routes, whatever you want to call it. DeAndre Swift can catch the ball. He's damn good at it. He's an all-purpose back. I love him. I'm high on him. I got him at number 18 overall. Can I sell you to move him up a bit? I honestly, I think with this one, I, I have to examine moving him up a little bit uh, just because I think, A, you look back uh, and Swift was leading up to this draft before landing position others was absolutely being touted as sometimes arguably the best running back overall in people's minds for this class. So then you see where he lands. And I think that started to make people a little uneasy just based on the fact that the Lions, just as an offense as a whole, have always been a little wishy-washy. Um, but you have Daryl Bevel there, who is another, like when we're talking about someone who wants to be more smash mouth and really focusing on the run game as a whole, he is an offensive coordinator that has the ability to do that. They haven't been able to due to durability issues. Uh, and I also do believe a little bit uh, that Carryon Johnson has a great ability to continue to be productive as a NFL running back, just not with the workhorse load that he had kind of thrust upon him. He's actually vocally said he didn't want to be someone who was constantly being the workhorse and instead being able to share a backfield, which is beneficial because now, of course, DeAndre Swift is coming in, is going to be able to alleviate just that. Um, so when you see that there are other kind of proficient running backs, uh, albeit those who are more injury prone, it does start to maybe cap some of his immediate potential because you're like, people were really high on on Johnson as well. And when he's on the field, he can be very good. It's not like they, he's just totally fallen off the face of the earth. It really just was the durability issues he had issues with. Um, but with that being said, uh, you look back to the arguments that you made with uh, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. Uh, him as a freshman coming into a system with people who absolutely are fantastic running backs and being able to make a name for himself almost immediately, that starts to kind of make me feel like the uh, time it will take for DeAndre Swift to really uh, settle himself and solidify himself as the lead running back in that backfield, 
uh, is going to take a lot less time than people are giving him credit for. Uh, and therefore, with that, again, with me leaning a little bit more towards prove it first before I move you up, um, he at least has the chance to do that probably a lot sooner uh, than some of these other running backs who are going to be competing for touches as well. And it makes me feel like I might be a little lower on him than I should be. Well, I think we're still probably both a little higher than him uh, or higher on him than consensus, but uh, we'll see if we can't get you to bump him a couple, bump him right? up a couple exactly. notches. I might, might have to take a look after this, see what I can do, but good argument. All right, buddy. We covered a lot of ground tonight. A couple great running backs, a bunch of great wide receivers. Um, I think next time we're hoping to bring the people a little bit of uh, our rankings versus uh, some of the quote unquote experts in the industry. We're going to see how we fare there. Exactly. But it'll be, that'll be fun. See what they got going on. So perfect, man. Well, let's get this out of here. Let's, let's sign off for the night until next time. This is the dynasty DM. You stay classy dynasty leaguers. Thanks for tuning in.